The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. Our topic for today is um, recognizing and facing alcohol and drug misuse in older adults. Um, As many of you know, that uh, we have an opiate crisis um, all around America, and I think in other parts of the world as well. And um, oftentimes, our elders are... um, over-prescribed medications, or um, our culture says that, you know, um, people who are of a certain age, they kind of earn the right to, to use alcohol or, or do what, whatever. And um, as we all know, those of us who have worked in the addiction profession for a long time, that um, addiction is a brain disease and it can affect people at any time of their life. Um, and as baby boomers are aging and people are living longer, we're seeing the advent of um, substance misuse, abuse, and addiction occur later in life than um, probably 40 or 50 years ago we were used to seeing. Um, so I'd like to talk to you all a little bit about... Um, why now we're having this big problem. And I'm going to um, use as my foundation um, a guide for families and caregivers. It's called Not As Prescribed, Recognizing and Facing Alcohol and Drug Misuse in Older Adults. And the author of this book is uh, Dr. Harry Haratunian, um, who's the physician uh, director in a licensed health professional program at the Betty Ford Center, and um, we were hoping he was going to be our guest today, and we still may be able to get him to call in. So um, let me just kind of go forward with a little bit of why now. Okay, so we're hoping to track him down, and um, one of the reasons that uh, we're seeing a larger, a large increase in uh, substance misuse, abuse, and addiction in our older population is that um, a lot of the baby boomers who are like turning 65 or so this year uh, experimented with different drugs and and alcohol a lot in the 70s. They uh, kind of aged out and um, began to work and stop using substances. And now they're seeing um, substance use, alcohol, marijuana, and um, other medications 
as a way to um, deal with some of the things that all of us have to deal with as we age, and that is um, health issues and, and financial problems, maybe uh, grieving the loss of family members, a loss of identity when we retire, and um, and and when you get to the point where you have to depend on others for transportation, there's a tremendous loss of freedom that occurs as a result of this. So while... Um, I think we have our guest joining. Hi. Hello, this is Dr. Heritunian. Hi, thank you for joining. We're live on the radio, and I was just sharing with our listeners a little bit about why are we seeing the uh, increase in older adults uh, using alcohol and and drugs now, and maybe you could uh, continue with that conversation. Why now? Well, um about eight to 10,000 people per day turn 65. So it's part of the silver tsunami or the baby boomer generation, you know, that's, that's happening. There's a lot more folks uh, um, getting to that, that point in their lives. There's a lot more folks that have been products of the 60s, if you will, and uh, um, it's the fastest growing group in the country. Um, many of the uh, older adults now come from the 60s or the hedonistic era where, you know, they are, are not afraid to take a pill or alcohol to change the way they feel. So, um, uh, you know, there's just more people. Um, looking for relief of pain. It's part of our, our culture right now. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, right. And thank okay. you for joining us. Um, I was wondering, you mentioned the people that were um, aging now that were maybe experimenting or misusing substances in the 1960s. Um, are they at greater risk now than people who I think culturally they are. You know, right now uh, we, we speak about alcohol and prescription drugs affecting somewhere around 10 to 12% of the population. For older adults, that goes up to about 17%. Um, um, so the demographic itself uh, um, brings higher percentages than the general population for both the misuse of alcohol and misuse of prescription drugs. By 2020, the number of addicted older adults is expected to double to about 6 million. That's a lot. That is. That's an awful lot. And there's also the whole um, role that just our aging bodies plays in... Um, addiction, and could you speak a little bit about that? Do we become more vulnerable as we age to addiction and substance misuse? Well, yes. Um, substances that have, you know, taken by a young person are going to affect an older person significantly more. Um, um, the livers and detoxification mechanisms in the older person's body are not as effective as the younger person, so they can't tolerate now, what they were able to tolerate when they were younger, um, that's for sure. And some of the symptoms and side effects of these drugs are not well tolerated just on the basis of age alone. Um, we have a prescription pain-killing epidemic now, and who in this age group isn't in some degree of pain? 
um, and and expects relief. Many, you know. Um, in 2011, 76 million baby boomers turned 65. I think that's very telling. That's a huge, huge number of people, all with some sort of medical issue, many of whom are seeing several doctors for several different medical issues, doctors who don't speak to each other very much, each one making prescriptions. So many of these people are not only on um, drugs that can get them in trouble, they're on drugs that have significantly difficult combinations and side effects. Polypharmacy, it's called. Yeah, could you speak a little bit more about the number of medications that you've seen some folks on? I know in the book you referenced um, that came into the Betty Ford Center. Yeah, it's not unusual um, for us. About 12% of those people 65 years of age and older take 10 or more medications per week, um, or in that case per day, including over-the-counter drugs such as aspirin and ibuprofen and acetaminophen, and then, of course, their vitamins, minerals, and herbs that they may get without a prescription. <coughs> so, you know, take someone with several conditions. Um, they have a, a heart arrhythmia, so they might have a, a heart stabilization drug. They may be on an anticoagulant to prevent clotting from the arrhythmia. They may have hypertension and be on two or three drugs for hypertension combined with a prostate problem that requires one or two other medications, you know, and they also have very significant arthritis, so their pain is managed by still yet, you're up to 12 drugs. Plus whatever else they take over the counter or off the shelf. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a big role that advertisement plays in this as well. I mean, you know, if you watch TV, you're getting bombarded with medications for sleep, for pain, for um, constipation if you're using opiates. Um, There's even a commercial for that. So as people stay home more, they're kind of getting the subliminal message that there's a medication out there to fix whatever is wrong. To fix whatever is wrong. We don't tolerate pain very well. And it kills no, me don't. that people will still get these medications or ask their doctors for them just after the voice on the commercial goes into a, a mega speed and starts naming off this list of deadly side effects. Right. It's almost like people don't hear that. Um, I think that certainly as you age or at any age, pain is significant. Um, I, I'm a registered nurse in addition to a licensed alcohol and drug abuse counselor. And, you know, pain was something when I was in nursing school that people experienced and you got them up and you got them moving and um, it's acute post-surgical pain subsides. Um, I know chronic pain, people would often be in the hospital, get weaned off to lauded or other types of, of uh, opiates, but um, it just seems like for whatever reason we have no tolerance for pain as a society or as a medical profession. That's exactly right. There's a, there's a pill for everything. And, and people don't realize that when they take opiates for chronic pain syndrome long enough, the opiates are part of the problem. They create hyperalgesia and more pain themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And there are other ways to treat pain 
There are anti-inflammatories. There's ice. There's acupuncture, um, biofeedback. Absolutely. Tai Chi, Qigong, yoga. Right. Hydrotherapy is one of the best, getting into a hot tub or a pool. Yeah, and moving around in the water is great. You know, in my experience, uh, and by the way, where are we talking? Are you in New Hampshire? No, actually, I'm in Florida. I'm in their facility in Florida. Yeah. Oh, great. We're talking over the Internet, all over the world. (laughs) If you have um, um, significant chronic pain, in my experience, just the mere act of getting a patient up and moving three times a day oftentimes relieves the pain. Right. And we'll be right back um, after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black, Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. I am very grateful to introduce our guest today, Dr. Harry Heratunian, who from now on will be called Dr. Harry, um, who is 
an internationally known speaker and authority on addiction-oriented topics, including drug misuse among older adults. He is widely read online and has appeared on the Dr. Oz Show and Dr. Drew on Call, as well as he has been featured in the New York Times and Cosmopolitan and the AARP magazine. Um, Dr. Harry is board certified in both addiction and family medicine. He serves as a physician director of professional and residential programs at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California. Um, He is the author of Not As Prescribed, Recognizing and Facing Alcohol and Drug Misuse in Older Adults. And he also is the author of Being Sober, a step-by-step guide to getting to getting through, and living in recovery. So I'm so grateful you were able to join us. And Dr. Harry, and, you know, as people age, you were talking about polypharmacy, and so the symptoms of, of um, too many medications and substance misuse can be very similar in terms of uh, slurring speech, um, problems with cognition, um, being, you know, dizzy or having an unbalanced gait. How do families recognize, you know, is this is my mother or father on too many meds or is are they abusing a substance? Well, it's very difficult and it requires a lot of help from a good doctor. Um, first of all, you have to know what your loved one is taking and sometimes that's difficult, so you have to do an audit of the medicine cabinet of the drawers, of the nightstand, and bring out all of the medications, look at what is new, what is expired, what has been recently prescribed, and pay attention that they are all prescribed by doctors that your loved one is seeing at the time. Some people will keep medicines around three, four years from someone they saw once several years ago, Um, and um, that can be most dangerous, not only by mistake, um, taking another medication that you don't need, but deliberately. Um, Then those medications should all go to your primary care physician for a medication audit. You can also list the medications uh, out and take them to your pharmacist, and the pharmacist can run a profile on those medications and show you which may have adverse side effects. Now, some of the medications that affect older folks more than anything are not prescription. They're over-the-counter. Over-the-counter medications for diarrhea, for example, may have profound effects on an older person. Those that control bladder symptoms may also have profound effects on the thinking and especially the memory. Um, Something as simple as... uh, Tylenol PM or Advil PM with diphenhydramine or Benadryl in there is notorious for affecting the memory of older folks. So you have to be very careful. Read the labels, um, ask your pharmacist, ask your doctor, and properly discard of old medication. We just had a uh, uh, community-wide old drug disposal day here in Palm Springs, and it was extremely successful. Some of the larger drugstore chains cooperated with our own volunteer staff, and we collected thousands of bottles of drugs that would have That's been wonderful. left for someone to find in a medicine cabinet. Part of our uh, epidemic with opiate pain medication right now is that patients obtain those out of someone's medicine cabinet. 
You don't want your grandson coming home and getting the Vicodin that you don't take any longer for your hip surgery five years ago. They'll do it. Exactly. You know, um, in working in the profession of, uh, of addiction for a long time, one of the challenges for people in recovery is finding a primary care physician that really understands addiction and knows how to prescribe for somebody that has an addictive disorder. I would think that finding a physician that understood addiction and gerontology would be equally um, difficult. Or are there more folks out there than I imagine that really understand how to treat the elder population? Um, No, it is a difficult problem, and not many people are well qualified. I would um, call a a local uh, alcohol or drug treatment program and ask them who in the community they respect the most a doctor who's not going to give someone Valium or another benzodiazepine, very dangerous medications for uh, the older adult that they simply don't need, Ambien, Sonata, Lunesta, those things to go to sleep with are very, very problematic. You know, I want to uh, go back to your first question, uh, last question. Some of these things cause profound confusion. Um, and you don't know whether someone is simply confused, if it's uh, early dementia, um, drug-induced dementia, or part of a thought disorder that they may be developing. And um, um, families are completely perplexed when these symptoms come up, only to find out far too often that um, when no one's looking, Grandma or Grandpa may run out to the kitchen and pour themselves a few fingers of whiskey or a beer or wine and be mixing that with their medication. So you have to always remember that some of this stuff may be surreptitious. When you get to pain medications like the opiates, they have a profound effect on someone's balance, um, on their mentation, their thought process. Um, They may get very sleepy and somnolent. They may become uh, incoordinated. So it's, you know, almost difficult to distinguish those even from a stroke. It's very complicated. It certainly is. My book speaks to all of these issues. So it's a nice reference book for people who are going to be cared for or who are caring for someone else or just overseeing someone else's care just as an interested family member. You know, um, I started working as a profession when I was really young, and in 1984 I went with some um, colleagues to a conference on um, older people and alcoholism. And up until that point, the thought within my coworkers and myself was, you know, when people get to a certain age, it's just let them drink. You know, they've earned the right, they've fought the wars, they've done whatever, just let them drink. And we went to this conference, and it was very um, eye-opening. Um, we happened to sit with a woman who was a retired registered nurse who had been sober for, for, like, I think she was 66 or 67, and she'd been sober for five years. And she said how much she enjoyed and was grateful for her recovery because prior to her getting sober, her son wouldn't let her near her grandkids because they weren't sure how she was going to behave. They wouldn't let her drive them. Um, And she said, you know, I really lost my family, and it wasn't until I got sober at 61 that um, I was able to get my quality of life back and and a quality of life. And, And I think 
there's a prevailing attitude out there that people get to a certain age and they've earned the right to drink or, you know, um, do, do you still see that? Oh, yeah, and, and, and family members can oftentimes play right into that. You know, well, they've earned their right to drink. Uh, you know, they're old enough now. They won't be here. Why interrupt them? Why disturb them? The quality of life is terrible, and God forbid if there's a fall or a broken hip or a head injury, their life is over. Their life is over as they know it. Um, it's never too late to intervene gently. Um, we discuss this in the book as well, in, into someone's life who you feel is abusing drugs or alcohol. It's never too late to get sober. I've known people who... Um, took their last martini at the age of 85, and in this one particular individual now has uh, 10 years' worth of sobriety, written two books during that time on spirituality, and says the best years of his life started at the age of 85. It's really quite amazing. It is amazing, and those are the things people need to understand, that the quality of life, no matter what age you get sober, um, improves tenfold. Exactly. And you're not just affecting yourself. It's not simply saying, well, it's my body, it's my life, I can do whatever I want. Family is always adversely affected. Exactly. I think, um, as, you, as you also mentioned in your book, the... Um, how complicated it can be for family members who um, really don't, you know, they're, I guess the role is shifting. You know, mom and dad have taken care of the child and now mom and dad get to a certain age and the child now becomes a caretaker and now it's the child that's setting limits on mom and dad's behavior. And that's especially, I mean, it's especially true that all families need to get treatment. But it seems like like um, children who are caring for older adult, adults who have addictive disorders especially need treatment. Are you You're finding right. that more so? Absolutely. Because of the, the flipping roles? Absolutely. Um, um, parents are not inclined to take a lot of direction from their children sometimes think that the children are being holier than thou, want to be left alone. And, uh, you know, um, oftentimes there's an underlying psychiatric problem going on. Oftentimes mood disorders, many people who are involved in polypharmacy or opiates or alcohol are anxious and depressed and don't have very happy lives. So... They're not interested very much in cooperating on efforts that are going to, you know, help them out. When people have their best interests at heart, it's hard for them to see. Well, the other thing that happens, too, um, that I've seen is that older people who are um, misusing alcohol or drugs are not able to eat. Um, They become emaciated, and it affects every other condition that they have as well. Um, and they become very debilitated. You're right. Absolutely correct. Which adds to the amount of care they need by their caregivers. Um, what role does trauma play for these 
these folks as they age. Now, trauma, trauma and addiction seem to go hand in hand. I mean, where there's trauma um, and addiction, unless you have the ability to deal with the trauma, the addiction is oftentimes destined to resurface even if you get sober temporarily. And so. We'll be right back to talk more about um, now that's prescribed and how to take care of your um, older patients or parents or uh, loved ones right after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is Dr. Harry Heratunian, who is the Physician Director of Professional and Residential Programs at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California. And uh, during the break, I asked Dr. Harry what prompted him to write the book. So um, I'll ask you again for our listeners. Well, I had the the blessing of having my mother, a three-generation home um, 
for my son to grow up in the same way I grew up in with my grandparents next door. And my, my mother enjoyed wonderful life for 23 of her 25 years with us. The last two years, she had a very aggressive ovarian cancer, got very ill, um, and I became um, a caretaker. And, uh, and I had knowledge and medicines and nurses from my office who could come help me and community resources that I knew how to access and visiting home nurses. And I said, my God, what do people do who just don't know how to game the system? And that's why I wrote the book. And uh, I also treat many, many people here at the Betty Ford Center who are in the older age groups and, you know, see them coming in with shopping bags filled with medicine. And some of the combinations are very irresponsible. They don't know it um, until we bring it to their attention. But really, if Dr. A doesn't know what Dr. B is prescribing and whether or not they're going to interact, Sometimes the best helper that you have in your life is your pharmacist who says, wait a minute, I got a call today from someone who wanted an antibiotic, and um, a, the pharmacy called me back and said that this person was on another medication that could have an interaction, and so very appropriately, um, this was a Walgreens pharmacy, very appropriately, they did not... Uh, I filled the prescription until they got the okay from me because uh, there could have been an interaction. And I really, most major pharmacies are equipped with that kind of computer um, capability right now. So, Which is a major help in fighting a lot of the polypharmacy that's occurring throughout the country. Um, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about, um, for young people, how difficult it is to come to terms with the fact that they may have a substance use disorder or an addiction. And is what is it like for an older person in terms of the, the shame or the stigma or, you know, I've gone my whole life, I've never had a problem, I can't have a problem now. Um, is that a major hurdle for folks or... Are people more accepting at an older age? Uh, no, no. Shame is a big, big part of this. And um, if they think they have a problem, they feel like they're being judged. There's, there's minimization of their uh, problem. Um, they, you know, everybody has the stigma in their minds of what an alcoholic or a drug addict, God forbid, is all about, and so they can never in a million years put themselves in that position. So there's a lot of shame and a lot of denial. A lot of and Do denial. the families struggle with that as well? I mean, do the families have to get beyond, like, this cannot be happening? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Member? The families will oftentimes be very, very aggressive about minimizing and enabling the person um, in question despite the fact that about 25% of emergency department visits are related to bad alcohol and medication interactions, for example, um, um, I've seen people go into the emergency room and argue with the emergency room physician that the unwanted symptoms, the reversible dementia, uh, the whole prescribing cascade that brought the person into the emergency room is just simply... Not true, that couldn't happen, not in our family, not in our neighborhood, you know, that kind of thing. So once a family 
begins to understand there's something going on, how do they have that conversation that must be a source of tension and conflict for a lot of folks? Well, as I said before, either either you're going to do a medication audit or you're going to do a behavioral audit. All those people who are involved in taking care of an individual have reports and concerns. Mother's speech was slurred. She could barely stand up. She stumbled on her way to the bathroom. Um, I saw her reach for her pill and she took a handful. Uh, I think I smelled alcohol on there. All those different things um, have to be gathered by the family and be comfortable talking about them because they're of great concern. And then the actual medication audit, um, I call it the brown bag approach, where people take their medicines in a brown bag to their primary doctor or an addiction specialist or, as I said, the pharmacist. A nurse can sometimes be very, very helpful in a doctor's office. And you just make an appointment. Say, look, I'll pay you for your time. I'll make, it, I'll make this like an office visit, but I need to know what to throw away and what can interact adversely and whether these symptoms are being caused. And when you do that, it puts the doctor's office on notice that you're a smart consumer and that they can't, you know, tell you um, uh, that they're not going to do that or that it's not responsible medicine. That's very responsible medicine. Age does not have to be a factor when it comes to treatment. As I told you a little while ago in the last segment, I've seen people in their high 80s and 90s recover. There's also times in an older person's life when their system breaks down. They may lose a spouse. Uh, widowers, for example, is the fastest, over 75 years of age, is the fastest growing demographic for alcoholism that we know at a much faster rate than younger people. Older adults not only benefit from treatment, they experience, the experience uh, is, is something they really come to enjoy and relish. So, you know, our folks here at the center have immense gratitude. Compared to the younger counterparts, older adults have a better chance of staying sober because their health improves so much. They have immense gratitude. They have a new social life that's enjoyable in their community, with their peers, and quality time with grandchildren and family um, all makes for a much better life. So they, they, it's, a, it's a tremendous gift. Um, Will one physician decrease or discontinue another physician's um, medication orders? If, if somebody brings in a brown bag full of medicine and there might be four or five different prescribers, it, will one person take control of that, or will the person have to go to each individual prescriber? Well, they may write down questions for you to take to the other doctor, or a real good physician would just pick up the phone and call the other doctor's office and say, look, um, I gave this patient uh, uh, diuril, and you prescribed hydrochlorothiazide. From the patient's pr- perspective, that looks like two separate medicines, but they're both the same medicine. So if they're taking them both, they may be, you know, just one's a generic name, one's a brand name, right. the patient, you know, may be taking a double dose. That's certainly worth it in adjusting. Um, one doctor can adjust that, and the other doctor will probably be very grateful you did. 
So when when a family has a conversation with an older adult, um, is it is it like an intervention, like like that we think about, or is it just a series of conversations, um, just outlining their concerns? What seems to work the best? Well, some of the questions that you might ask is how many pills is mom taking? How many drinks is she having? When she doesn't drink, does her behavior improve? Is she less aggressive, less sleepy, less mean? Where does she fill her prescriptions? That's a good one. Are the labels on her prescription bottles from more than one pharmacy? Has mom lost interest in some of the activities that used to bring her joy? And does she seem out of character, more depressed, anxious, and withdrawn? So once the family and the individual comes to uh, the realization that um, they need help, where what kind of treatment is available for older folks? And, and well, it depends on the nature of the problem. And that, you know, again, if you are looking at grandma or grandpa, you know, do they forget that they took their medication the night before or did they fall and stumble? Uh, different concerns, um, for different pros, armed with that kind of um, information, you uh, then would try to get them some help. There are uh, one-on-one consultations with an addiction specialist that can help you. And I want to I want to be clear about this. I said seventeen percent of people are affected. That means eighty-three percent are not doing this. So. Chances are your loved one may not have this kind of a problem, but you'd never know it unless you're looking for it, okay? Um, there are treatment um, programs that specialize in older adults um, if they're sick enough. Um, those may be um, intensive outpatient programs where people go for two or three hours a day and learn about alcohol and drugs and it's kind of a learning experience for them so that they can lead their life without, uh, without medications that are harming them. Um, there are residential programs like we have at the Betty Ford Center where you stay for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 days sometimes. We have chronic pain programs like we do at the Betty Ford Center, which is a you know 60-day program to deal with chronic pain without medication. Um, 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 down in Florida where you are now, the Hanley Center um, down there was famous for um, treating older adults. And many people um, in addiction medicine in areas where there are a lot of older adults, Florida, Palm Springs, and so forth, are subspecialists in this geriatric group. So there's a lot of help out there. And we'll be right back after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. When a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer, it's probably the most frightening thing that's ever happened to her. Friends and family often don't know what to do for support, not to mention the patient herself. That's where Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio comes in. Join Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin, breast cancer survivors and advocates. They help by providing inspiration, information, and most of all, hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Dr. Harry Heratorium, Torium, Tunium. Help me hear Dr. Harry. Say it right for me. Right the first two times, Heratunium. Okay. Um, who is the physician director of the Licensed Health Professionals Program at the Betty Ford Center and who has spent a considerable amount of time treating older adults. Um, uh, when we were talking at break, you brought up ageism. Um, what what does that play in treating older adults? What are you seeing happen? Well, I, I think it's really kind of a prejudice uh, toward older folks thinking that they're so old is not worth doing something about it, that they can't get sober and remain sober. Um, um, it's really a prejudice. It's really a prejudice. Do you see that in the treatment community or in the community I in general? I see that or? in families. I've seen it in, in uh, the uninformed treatment community. Look, we can't prevent aging, but we can make efforts to prevent our loved ones from experiencing unnecessary pain that can result from this polypharmacy that they're getting from many doctors or addiction. But we have to examine our own belief system 
and then grasp the extent of the problem. That is critical. To prevent addiction and polypharmacy, um, or to stop it in its tracks, we first have to believe there's a problem. So common first reactions when this comes up in a family is um, something has changed for the worse. My mom is losing her mental or physical faculties due to age. The prescription narcotics are making my grandmother act goofy. Let let dad get high or drunk and enjoy what little time he has less. Now, that's some ageism right there. After the initial thoughts, many of us are overwhelmed. It becomes easy to fall back on stereotypical thoughts. So, you know, we may say, conscious or unconsciously, why bother? It is what it is. And, you know, ageism is defined as a prejudice or discrimination against a particular age group, and especially against the elderly. It is prevalent cultural attitude in the United States. If we equate an older adult's addictive thinking and drugging to one of life's last hurrahs, we are saying they don't add value and we're guilty of ageism. They're not worth fixing. Let them just go out with a smile on their face. You follow? I do. I do. I was guilty of that early in my career because I didn't know better. Right. So, and then there's complacency. And that's another common reaction to these changes in an older adult's behavior. Most of us confuse complacency with acceptance. Okay. If you or others accept the changes as expected, consider the difference between aging and getting old, chronological versus biological aging. I mean, the common beliefs that we find that it's the only pleasure left that he has. He worked hard all his life. Let him enjoy itself. It's her money. Let her spend it. She's in too much pain to abstain from painkiller. Happy hour is the only social activity she has left. He has nothing else to do. Who's he harming? Since mom passed, it helps him with his loneliness. It's a disease. There's nothing you can do for it. He needs to reach the bottom. The family can't afford treatment. He's too confused to be in treatment. She needs to tend to her medical problems first. You can't force anyone to do what they don't want to do in treatment. And he was in treatment 20 years ago and it didn't work. Those are some of the common beliefs about older adults and drug misuse or addiction. So you see there's a lot of prejudice out there when you're dealing with older people. Unless your loved one ends up in legal or medical system where he or she is accurately assessed and diagnosed, this can go on for an awful long time. And certainly it affects the quality of the whole family relationship. Yeah, and, and you said it. And, you know, and, 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 and addiction, the very first target of addiction, which is a chronic organic disease of the brain, is lack of awareness that it's happening. So what are the signs of aging, polypharmacy, and addiction? What are the signs? Um, older folks, you know, do very well. They, they don't have to stumble and fall. They don't have to slur their speech. They don't have to fall asleep while they're talking to you. Um, you want to know if addiction runs in the family because it's hereditary. 
Did dad use drugs as a teenager or a young adult? How many doctors does mom see? And what are the names and locations? What health conditions is grandpa really being treated for? These are questions that we have to ask in order to be aware. And then we start to observe the behavior. How many pills? Did you count them? Is she drinking while she's doing these pills? Does she fill her prescriptions early? And mean, meaning is she taking more than is prescribed? Is she getting more painkillers from multiple doctors so she can take more than one doctor knows? Is she keeping it a secret from one doctor that she's seeing a second doctor? That kind of stuff. So, Dr. Harry, so, how can people get in touch with you if they want to talk more about your book, Not As Prescribed, or they want more information on treating um, elder folks with substance abuse? Well, they can reach us at the Betty Ford Center. Um, uh, my email here is Dr. Harry at Hazelden, that's Hazelden, D E N. H-A-C-E-L-D-E-N, BettyFord.org. Dr. Harry at HazeldenBettyFord.org. I hope this, this has been helpful. I think it's very helpful, and I hope our listeners out there understand that there's a lot that you can do to help your elder uh, loved one. Um, have a better quality of life for themselves and for your whole family. And um, and I guess for everybody listening, to just be mindful that pain is part of life and that there are many ways to deal with it other than taking medication. Um, great, great, great show, Mary. Thank you for being there. And when you get back up to, I, it, it is Manchester, New Hampshire, right? Yes, it is. Well, I'll say hello to all my friends in Manchester. I practiced medicine for many years in southern Vermont. Oh, did you? Yeah, nice right at area. Mount Snow. Mm-hmm. Wilmington, Vermont, Southern Vermont, Mount Snow. Were yeah. you in East Dorset? Uh, I've been You're... to East Dorset many, many times. Yeah. Um, it's a great place. Love, love East Dorset. Yeah. Manchester, uh, know it well. Yeah. And, I, you know, I was well, an old-fashioned country doc. I mean, really, you know, house calls and family practice for about 32 years. How did you get involved in addiction medicine? Well, you know, um, addiction was always a family disease. Um, At the age of 54, I um, had a great loss in my life. A very dear uh, friend um, passed away. And earlier in my life, in 1983, um, another physician who was like my mentor and teacher took his own life. Um, I saw that the way that my body and mind wanted to react to that was just numb the pain. And knowing my family's history with alcoholism, um, I thought that was a very dangerous response. So I got rather proactive and, and... came out here to learn more about it, and I've been in addiction medicine ever since. Well, thank you. Um, we have a, a great need for addiction physicians, so so thank you for all your great work and um, for writing the book and helping families and older adults not have to go through the pain of all that. Appreciate it, So have it, a great Mary. week. Thank you. See you. Bye. 
Bye-bye. Have a great week, everybody. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.